being sexual, all that stuff. And then chapter 19, and when they're gone, when they've been judged and you enter this land, here's how you are to be. That's chapter 19. Here's how you are to be in this land. And so starting at verse 11, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God, I am Yahweh, I am capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is the translator's code to tell you it's God's personal name. I am Yahweh. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you until all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am Yahweh. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahweh. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. Lest you incur sin because of him. And you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. And you remember that last verse when he, Jesus our Lord was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love God whole hog. That's my paraphrase. Love God whole hog. And then he says, and also love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so now we turn to James, James chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 11 and 12. That's page 1013 in that blue Bible. James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. This is all burbling out of chapter 3 in the first part of chapter 4. This is a continuation of some theme, a specific theme. And so here's what James writes. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbors? So what I've read to you from the Old Testament and the New is the word of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of glory, forgive us for judgmentally judging others. We who will be judged ourselves, give us help and give us hope. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're visiting, you may not know, on the back of the worship guide are the sermon notes there. There's a big quotation I'm going to bring up in the sermon. It's right there in the back. And then there are questions at the bottom. And tonight is our first care group night. And those questions will probably be bumped into or tripped over or whatever the case is. Somewhere in one of your care groups. Some of you may have heard me tell this story. And if you haven't, great. If you have, it's okay. You need to hear it again. Planet Fitness. Anybody know what Planet Fitness is? It's a pay-for gym. You pay for it and you go to this gym, right? It's a, it, has a, it has a tagline, and the tagline declares itself as, quote, a judgment-free zone. Planet Fitness, the judgment-free zone. Well, 
On the 23rd of July in 2018, I know this is a fact, I read every news article I could find to validate the facts, and it happened. On 23 July 2018, Eric Stegno walks into his Planet Fitness gym in Playstow, New Hampshire, to put those bragging rights to the test. We'll see if that motto is real. So he walks into Planet Fitness, gets through the front desk, gets over to the, where the weights are, and he strips down buck naked. And he begins to work out in the buff. Well, noticeably, the staff members were appalled, shocked, and scandalized, and they immediately called the police. And when the police arrived, they arrested Eric Stegno for indecent exposure, and as they hauled him out in handcuffs, they all said you could hear the man say on the way out the door, hey, I thought this was a judgment-free zone. I don't know, that was a funny story. But I'm bumped. You know, it's moments like this where our mottos and our slogans often get exposed, sometimes really for their emptiness. So keep that story lightly in the back of your head. It won't play a, a central piece, but it kind of brings us in. Now I want you to know where we are in James 4. James 4, 11 through chapter 5, verse 6. James 4, 11 through chapter 5, verse 6 are three examples of three Christian groups of people in the synagogues who have, think about last week's sermon, who have been allowing their desires and pleasures to dominate them. These are three separate groups of people who have allowed their desires and pleasures to dominate them. Verses 1 through 12 is the first group, which I'll deal with today. Then verses 13 through 17 is the next group that Pastor West will deal with next week. And then chapter 5, 1 through 6. I just want you to get it. There are three groups of Christian people who, are, who have allowed their desires and pleasures to dominate them. And they especially need to receive James's summons back up in verses six, verse 7 through 10. To submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. To draw near to God, he will draw near to you. To cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, etc. To humble yourself before the Lord Jesus, and he will lift you up. These are three groups that need to receive James's summons. Real groups in these little synagogues, these fellowships. And if they will not submit and turn and come back, then they will find, verse 6 is true of them, God opposes the proud. They are the proud whom God is opposing. And so my friends, as we look at verses 11 through 12 today, we're going to examine wrong judgment, right judgment, and the day of judgment. There's the three points, wrong judgment, right judgment, and the day of judgment. Just as a side note, um, if you don't feel convicted when you leave here, I messed up. I'm just going to tell you. I mean, you hear me say it often. When you point one finger at others, there are three more pointing back. You deal with a passage like this, it's bigger than two verses. I mean, it's huge. And when you get done, if you deal with it honestly, you go, oh my goodness. As I tell Wes often, there's no hope for any of us. We're just going to be saved by grace alone. I mean, surely. And so I'm probably won't cover everything, but if you pay attention and you write notes and you think this through, you'll start to say, why is Mike talking about me? Right? It's just that bad. There's minefields aplenty in these two verses. And so with some humility, let's jump in. So wrong judgment. My friends, you've often heard the words of our Lord Jesus used, and I would say the majority of the time misused. 
Judge not, and you will not be judged. Wes is pointing at himself saying, don't judge me. So that's okay. That's right. Okay, oh good. Oh, excellent. But you hear those words, they're, they're used, but often misused. Judge not that you be not judged. And so to understand what our Lord Jesus meant by that, because you know how it's often used. It's usually used when you're having to deal with somebody's sin. Right? And they throw it right back in your face. I judge not that you be not judged. Right? That's misusing it. Here's what I mean. Look down at, uh, to our confession of sin, the passage that we read right before the confession of sin where this phrase, this statement is used. John 6, verses 36 through 36, or 38. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We put into your, your lap. For the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Notice context. Notice what Jesus is actually driving at. He's actually talking about not some divine human quid pro quo, my little bit of this for God's big O that, but instead in the context, he's talking about how we deal with people as we live out daily lives. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The point of the statement is actually this. Be as charitable and as gracious and as generous as you want others to be with you. Let me say it again. Be as charitable and as gracious and as generous as you want others to be with you. That's our Lord's point when he says, judge not that you be not judged. My friends, this is all about the way we walk through our relationships, the way we walk through our civil discourses, the way we walk through our marriages, the way we walk through our church fellowships and so forth. And that is what James is addressing here. And it clearly comes out there in verse 11 where James especially uses three Greek words. By the way, this is one of your questions in your, down at the bottom for your, class, your uh, care group tonight. James uses a, one Greek word three times in verse 11, so that should tell you something already. But let me read it again, and I'm going to highlight that, where that word is used. Verse 11, do not, do not speak evil. This is katalaleo is a Greek word. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. Speaks evil against. Three, number three. There was number three. Speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So there's katalaleo used three times. Speaking against, speaking against, speaking against. This is pretty important. The fact that he uses it three times. But notice that he also uses speaking evil against a fellow believer. He puts it into the same dance routine with judging a fellow believer. In fact, he makes it a synonym. He speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother. Speaks evil against the law and judges the law. The two go together so closely together. They go together as good as peanut butter and chocolate in a Reese's cup. Who likes Reese's Cup? Hopefully I connected with at least three. Okay, good, awesome, yeah. They go together. 
And the reason why it goes together is because most, more often than not, judgmentalism or wrong judgment is exposed through our words speaking evil against. Most often, judgmentalism is exposed through our words. It can be exposed through our looks. We can look with daggers. You ever had anybody do that to you? Right? So we can do that, but more often than not, our wrong judgment is thrown out with our words, which then immediately takes us back to chapter 3. Anybody remember chapter 3? The misuse of the tongue takes us right back to chapter 3. And so what James is targeting in verse 11 and 12 is what we often call judgmentalism. What we often call judgmentalism. Now that's a great and interesting word. It gets thrown around a whole bunch. But it almost never gets defined. I actually looked through Bible dictionaries and several other dictionaries looking for judgmentalism defined biblically and almost could find nothing on it. And if you take a moment to stop and try to define it yourself, you will find and be surprised how hard it is to actually define it, especially in the next point, when we start talking about the propriety of right judgment, when you pull in right judgment, it really skews our whole definition of wrong judgment or judgmentalism. And so I think that Jerry Bridges, everybody loves Jerry Bridges, I'm sure, and so Jerry Bridges, who wrote a, several great books on godliness and holiness and transforming grace, wrote for Navigators, uh, wonderful stuff to read Jerry Bridges, in a book that he wrote just a few years before he died, wrote a book called Respectable Sins. And he had a chapter on judgmentalism. And here's how he explained it. And this is that quotation in your sermon notes. I hope you'll follow along as I read it. The sin of judgmentalism is one of the most subtle of our respectable sins. One of the most subtle of our respectable sins. Because it is often practiced under the guise of being zealous for what is right. It is often practiced under the guise of being zealous for what is right. It's obvious that within our conservative evangelical circles, there are myriads of opinions on everything from theology to conduct to lifestyle and politics. Not only are there multiple opinions, but we, but we usually assume our opinion is correct. And that's where our trouble with judgmentalism begins. We equate our opinions with truth. I think that's a great statement. Often practiced under the guise of, um, of uh, doing, being zealous for what is right. And equating our opinions with truth. That really begins to get at what judgmentalism is. But it goes a little further, the, really, the definition. So I'm going to give you the Mike Filber definition of judgmentalism. I think it's down in your questions down there. And if you want, I'll, I'll autograph it for you. I'm sure if you save it, it'll be worth about nothing. But anyways, so, but here it is. Here's my definition. And this comes from Scripture and it comes from experience. Holding others to strict accounts... While I allow myself broad latitudes and broad liberties, why? Because in my eyes, I'm right. And therefore, I get the right to pick and choose what I apply to you. 
and what I apply to myself or excuse myself from. Sorry, it's not a real sexy, short, pithy definition, but it's pretty good, I think. Holding others to strict accounts, but allowing myself broad liberties. I stole that from C.S. Lewis. Because I have the right to determine what scripture is I get to apply to you and what I get to apply to myself or excuse myself from. Here's an illustration. It has nothing to do with the Bible, but it's like court cases. When you have two people maybe suing one another and the one in the court case looks at the other and demands that the other person abide by the court's decision while they themselves seem to never abide by the court decision. And when you ask them, it's because they're right. They've been, they're the ones being victimized. So they have a right not to abide by the court decisions. That's kind of a funny way to put it, but that's the same kind of scenario. And it's a sense of how James is putting it here. Let me come at it a different way. Go back in your Bible reading, back where I was reading earlier to the Leviticus 19. I'm going to come back to Leviticus 19 one other time after this. But notice that the law in Leviticus 19 says that you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. And so then, verse 11, chapter 4, verse 11 of James, to speak evil against a fellow believer. When Christians who know what the Scripture says speak evil against a fellow believer, do you realize what they're doing? They're saying, I have a right to excuse myself from that because I'm righteous. And so I get to be the one to condemn you, but I can use slander all day long because I'm right. The law does not apply to me there. Does that make sense? You feel miserable already? I do. I don't know about you. And so that's the idea. The law does not apply to me. I'm exempt from its prohibition here. I am superior to the law and have the right to pick and choose what I apply to myself or excuse myself from and what I get to apply to you. It's the very thing that our Lord Jesus was saying in another place when he pictures a person running around trying to remove a speck of sawdust from other people's eyes while he's got a big old four-by-four cedar plank poking out of his own eye. That's wrong judgment, my friends. And that's what James is addressing. Now, my friends, this type of judgmentalism does show up in our work, in our academic settings. I could give you several illustrations. It surfaces in our civil society. It goes on all the time, especially around presidential election seasons. It surfaces in our congregations. We see it all around us. We're part of the problem. And I want you to notice here in James 4 that judgmentalism parties at the same pub with partiality. That's why James begins chapter 2, verse 1, talking about partiality, and he's here now at judgmentalism because the two actually are flip sides of the same coin. When I'm judging, I'm actually being partial to me. Right? I'm being partial to me, and I am being, or I'm being, yeah, I'm being partial to me, and therefore I'm deriding you. And so judgmentalism, speaking, and partiality, party at the same pub. Judgmentalism is, can often come out in one of two ways. It can come out in harsh assessments. 
harsh assessments, evaluating others very harshly. Well, you know, they should keep their children under care and under, un, under control because, you know, I was really a great parent and I know how to parent. That's a harsh assessment. It comes out in harsh assessments and it comes out in so many different ways in that regard, but it also comes out in hyper-offendedness. Judgmentalism comes out in hyper-offendedness. They should know better than to use that language because it offends me and now I'm mad and I'm going to storm out of a building and slam doors. That's judgmentalism coming out in hyper-offendedness. Shows up usually in those two ways and both of those have to do with me being better than you. Both of them have to do with me being better than you. Are, are you picking up what I'm putting down? Everybody's looking down at the ground. I'm either putting you to sleep or you feel miserable. Judgmentalism is often my need to become superior to you or my need to be, be known as superior to you. Judgmentalism is often my need to become superior to you, so I'm going to talk you down so I feel like I'm up. Or it's my need to show that I'm superior to you, so I'm going to tear you down, I'm going to speak evil against you, I'm going to use the law against you while I give myself excuses for not listening to the Word of God or not abiding by it, so that way I can show how superior I am. Either way, it's all about pride. And what does James say God's position is towards pride? Anybody remember verse 6? God what? Opposes the proud. Judgmentalism is all about our pride. And God opposes the proud. And so James is addressing here wrong judgment very pointedly. He's addressing it actually inside the fellowships and sacred societies. That's why he uses this brother language, speaking evil against a brother. He's talking about inside the sacred societies, the fellowships. Now before we go too far, there is a right judgment. We need to know and remember there is a right judgment. We need to look at this. You know, the Bible says very, very clearly that there are places and there are points of judgment that are legitimate. For example, going back to Leviticus 19, right after, uh, just before God said don't slander in chapter 19, he says, you shall not do injustice in court, you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And even our Lord Jesus, when he was being accused falsely by the religious elites of his time, said to them in John 7, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He wasn't telling them, don't judge me. He said, if you're going to judge, judge with right judgment. There's a legitimate right judgment. I think most of us understand that. So furthermore, throughout the New Testament, there are plenty of areas that we are actually expected and called upon to judge. So I'm going to give you three. I could give you a ton, but I'm going to give you three. Just three. These are illustrative. So for example, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Does everybody remember the story in 1 Corinthians 5? 
uh, one of the young members of the church was sleeping with his dad's wife. Y'all remember this story? Having relations with her that he shouldn't be having. And what does Paul say to them? He says, you should not be tolerant. Okay, that's a paraphrase, but that's what he says. It's not right for you to tolerate that kind of thing. And so he tells them to judge them, to judge this person. Because, and, and, and he goes along and later on he lists several sins as well. The point is, we are called upon and expected by God himself to call out sexual immorality. That's a right judgment. Secondly, as another illustration, we're expected to do kind of two things with somebody who's divisive. As Paul tells Titus and Timothy, and he tells the Thessalonians in one of the letters, he says, you know, go to them and get them to tr- stop being divisive, causing schisms. Go to them once, go to them twice. But then comes the next part. And if they will not listen to you, then you need to avoid them. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 16. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Called upon to execute right judgment there. Here's another example, just the third one I'm going to give you. We're called upon to actually be able to distinguish an able-bodied person who has become idle and refuses to work and we're to admonish them. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. That's a judgment call. Not in the sense like a basketball game, but I mean it's it's a call to make a judgment, to make a biblical judgment. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Paul will expand that when you get to 2 Thessalonians 3. My friends, that's just to name only a few of the many, many categories where we are expected to exercise right judgment. And so, what's the difference between wrong judgment and right judgment? Well, Paul kind of hints at it here in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. Be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. The difference between wrong judgment and right judgment is mercy. Recognizing that we ourselves are going to be judged for our own violations and our own foul-ups. If we have to exercise judgment, we approach it with a sense of mercy. We point a finger, we know there's three more pointing back at us. We look at a person, we have to say something we also know in our hearts, but for the grace of God, there go I. I'm not better than that person. I could tumble down that hole with Alice in an instant. Okay, for you who listen to Jefferson Starship and all that stuff. I'm dating myself all the time here, sorry. But we approach it with mercy. That's what distinguishes wrong judgment, judgmentalism from right judgment, is mercy. Wrong judgment gives no mercy and gives no grace and demands its pound of flesh. You should do better because I say so. And right judgment says, yikes, 
Let me walk with you through this. You shouldn't be doing that, but I need to be careful myself because I myself could stumble into the same. Let me exhibit the same grace and generosity and charitableness that I would like extended to me. And that's exactly what James said clear back in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, when he says, So speak and so act as those who will be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so, my friends, to judge rightly with right judgment has everything to do with the day of judgment has everything to do with the day of judgment, which is exactly where James goes next in verse 12. Verse 12 of chapter 4, there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And all the way through James, you know who that one lawgiver and judge is, but you could go back to chapter 2 and verse 1. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Oh, Jesus Christ our Lord is the one who is the one lawgiver and judge, and he is the one who can save and destroy. And my friends, that statement is part and parcel with the gospel. Shame on us, especially in North America, who have have chafed under the thought of the day of judgment being part of the gospel, and so we take out the day of judgment from many of our gospel presentations. It's part and parcel. All the way through the book of Acts, every gospel sermon just about has something to do with the day of judgment. Here's an example. When Peter is preaching to the house of Cornelius, he says in Acts 10, as he's preaching the gospel, And Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God. He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He is the one appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. But guess what? The judge is also the remedy. You hear the good news in there? The one who judges is also the remedy. It's in Him you find forgiveness for all those things we deserve to be condemned for. And so, my friends, the day of judgment is good news for some and it is bad news for others. So, for example, someone who has been harshly judged by others to the point that they have maybe lost their livelihood. This happens in the media all the time where accusation equals guilt. Oh, I taught a class on that about a year and a half ago, didn't I? Where accusation equals guilt, right? And they've been judged and they've received harshly because of that judgment. They can have confidence that on the day of judgment they will be vindicated by the one who knows the truth. They will be vindicated by the very one who is on the receiving, was on the receiving end of so much false witness bearing and slander and judgmentalism, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's kind of what our shorter catechism is saying when it asks, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed to the full enjoying of God to all eternity. 
Sometimes the, for some, many, the J of judgment is good news. Think of someone who's been judged harshly and slandered. But some who have gotten away with murder, murdering people's reputations and characters, will have to stand before the one who knows what it is to be slandered in a court system, for example. Who knows the truth, they'll have to stand before him and they will be condemned. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Therefore, the day of judgment humbles us in our judging. It humbles us in our judging. It makes us take a step back and ask ourselves hard questions, or should. Is this a legitimate judgment? Or am I showing partiality to myself? Am I misusing God's word and applying it harshly to them while I give myself broad latitude? It makes us step back and ask ourselves hard questions in this judgment. Am I also extending the same mercy I want extended to me? And so if we must judge, and at times we must, then we must do so as liberated people, extending liberty to others. We judge as mercied people. I just made up that word. We judge as mercied people because we have been shown mercy to and we give mercy to others. If we must, and we must at times, and we do so as people who have been saved by an impartial Savior. Chapter 2, verse 1, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so where do we go from here? Well, verses 6 through 10 bring us right where we need to be. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's good news there for those who say, you know what? That's part of my problem is pride. That's why I look down my nose at other people and why I judge them so harshly. Dear God, have mercy on me. There's the beginning. There's good news in there. And then he says here, submit to God. Oh, yeah. Resist the devil. Anybody remember what's the name devil mean? Anybody remember? Slanderer. Jesus says so in John 8, verse 44. The chief slander, resist the chief evil speaker against the brothers. Right? Resist the chief slander, resist the devil. And what's the good news? He will what? Flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Hate your sin for crying out loud. And humble yourself before the Lord, before the Lord Jesus. The one who is equal with God, remember this? And who emptied himself by taking to himself the form of a servant and humbled himself to the point of death. Humble yourself before the Lord Jesus and guess what he will do? He will exalt you. The very thing you really were kind of after in why you, why, why you were being judgmental. He will do it the right way. And so there's the invitation for all of us. There's good news. There's hope in there. Does that make sense? 
And so we walk out of here, the very first thing we all should be saying is, dear God, I have been judgmental. If you don't think you've been judgmental, let's talk, because you have been, because I have been. And we walk out of here, Lord, I have been judgmental. Show me where, not if, where have I been judgmental. And forgive me. And I draw near to you, and I submit to you. And there's hope. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Well, Lord God in heaven, we come to you confessing in all honesty the times we have been judgmental, the times we have given that look of death or spoken those words. Pray, Lord God, that you would have mercy upon us and forgive us. Help us to live as graced people, to live as mercied people, to extend charitableness and generousness and graciousness to others. Help us, Lord, to hold our tongues. What's in our head does not have to come out of our mouth. Help us to learn to hold our tongues. Help us, Lord, to realize, but for the grace of God, there go I. Draw us close to you that we may be close to those whom we have judged and begin to walk together more fully in your unbounded grace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.